This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Scripture reading this morning is John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. I have, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Hear the word of the Lord. everyone you've got the less glamorous version of our family here not Amelia I'm reading from James chapter 5 starting at verse 13 are any among you suffering they should pray are any cheerful they should sing songs of praise are any among you sick they should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord the prayer of the of the, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Father, your scriptures call us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, awaken in us a passion to know you more and more, about you and to increasingly help us to grow to be like you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 
there are a number of uh, Mediterranean towns at whose annual festivals the locals build a human mountain. About 10 big powerful guys form a tight circle with their arms around each other's shoulders and they lean in and uh, hold on tight. And about eight not quite so big fellows then climb onto the first guy's shoulders and link up and form a second circuit on top of the first one. And immediately half a dozen medium-sized guys shimmer up and build the third level, standing in turn on the shoulders of the second level. And then comes the next level, smaller numbers and smaller men, and so on and on, till finally some very agile kid on his own is the pinnacle, the seventh or eighth level. Can you imagine the pressures on every single member not to crumble under the weight? and not to topple. It's a massive pressure. And the result, of course, is that every member is extremely aware of his neighbours and how they're faring and how they're holding up and will they be able to hold on long enough? Will their knees stay firm? Will they not wobble? Will the thing not collapse? And so they, with word and with muscle, encourage one another to hold on and do the job. Teamwork pulling together, absolutely vital. It's a wonderful picture of what the church ought to be and what we're like when we get it right. Because every person living his Christian life is a big deal to every other Christian. This is why the New Testament has half a dozen different commands about Christians caring wonderfully for one another. And we're looking at some of those this month. So far we've considered the call to honour one another and uh, to bear one another's burdens and today pray for one another. But first, do you pray? Jesus prayed, so therefore we will pray. We are his followers. Praying was the foundation of Jesus' daily experience. And there's one at the start of St Mark's Gospel, classic example, where he's had an extremely tense, busy, full day that went on long into the night. And then we read, while it was still dark, he got up and he went out to a deserted place and there he prayed. There was another occasion we read, he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he chose his 12 disciples. Now, if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we? It's good to notice also that Jesus didn't say, if you pray, then say this and don't say that. He said, when you pray, say this and don't say that. So Jesus certainly expects us to pray. Do you pray? And he did pray for himself. Perhaps surprisingly, we know very little of what Jesus prayed about for himself apart from one famous time, just hours before he was crucified. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. So Jesus is the example for us to pray and to pray for ourselves. Now, most people will say, well, of course we're to pray for ourselves. 
Surely nobody thinks that they can know everything and do everything that God wants without sincerely asking for help. Well, actually, there are some humble souls who genuinely feel that it's selfish to pray for themselves, to which I can imagine Jesus saying, no, 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 haven't you read the Lord's Prayer? Four of the lines of the Lord's Prayer that he taught us and told us to use are asking for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. Who? Us. So, following Jesus' example and his instructions, we are to pray and we are to pray for ourselves. But he also prayed for others. Like, once again, the night he prayed before naming his chosen 12, he prayed for others. And as his followers, so should we. Now, do you really believe that? Or is that just sort of a preacher's pious pontificating? that yes, we should be praying for one another. Well, I think yes, it is what he expects of us. It is, of course, very easy to think, look, I find praying for myself and my family uh, and now and then for a friend who's in some sort of trouble hard enough without adding on a whole lot of others. And uh, if you're anything like me, you will say, yes, that's the case. Praying for other people is no pushover. So what is a manageable goal for an ordinary Christian in this praying for one another task that we've been given by Jesus? Surely we can't be expected to know dozens of our fellow parishioners well enough to be able to know what to pray for about for them. I mean... God bless Jim and God bless Fred and God bless Auntie someone, Myrtle. What? You're not going to pray those sort of prayers all your life without getting bored to tears. When I was a kid, my parents taught me to pray and there was the two prayers. One was the Lord's Prayer and the other one was God bless and I would go through the family tree. Now, as a child, that was very helpful to get to know who belonged to who where all the cousins and aunties fitted together because they're all logically set out. But boy, what a boring prayer. It's no wonder I was only too glad to be old enough not to have my parents put me to bed anymore and I didn't have to go through that rigmarole. <laughs> and that's praying that is not fruitful, it's, not, it's just a turn-off. So what is a realistic way to pray for one another? Well, here's my suggestion, and I hope that you will take this seriously and uh, adjust it to fit you and use this example as a stimulus to look at what you do now and perhaps to review and revise and work out a system of praying for others that works for you at the stage that you are up to at the moment. The first one is... The first step is to decide, make a decision, yes, I am going to pray for others. If you don't actually deliberately make that decision, there's a very good chance that you won't. Having made the decision, step two, well, I'm going to start praying, for instance, for the rector and, and the leaders of the church groups that I'm involved in. So if you're in a home group, if you've got kids in Sunday school, uh, school, going to school, having school scripture, there are some leaders that you are 
connected to and that matter and have an influence on you and on your family, ones you're linked to. And we want to pray for the leaders in those situations because it is very difficult for a church or any church group to be better than its leader. It's not impossible, but boy, it's difficult. So we need our leaders in every group to be really kicking goals and at their very best so that they're lifting us up and raising our horizons and uh, drawing us to come with them rather than having to climb over them in order to be of any value. So decide, I'm going to pray for others. Particularly pick out the leaders to support them and keep them by your prayers at their very best. And then... Thirdly, make a modest list. On paper, not in your head. In your head's a waste of time if that's all that happens. Got to start there, of course. But make a list on paper of those that you think, yes, these are the ones who perhaps for this year I'm going to pray for. Maybe about 10 people. You just change the number to what works for you. 10 people that you know a bit or a lot but at least you know something about them. You bump into them. You're likely to get the news from them so that you do have some sense of where they're up to in life as well as in their Christian living. And then fourthly, make another practical decision. Decide how often I'm going to pray for them. Now, if you think, right, well, I, I don't want to rush it. I want to uh, stop. Well, if I'm praying for someone, I want to think about them. I want them to sort of, all I know about them to run through my head. I might just pray for one person a day in addition to my family and the, the other, myself, for instance. Or you might say, I can do two a day. And if it's, uh, if it's one a day and I've got a list of uh, ten or so, then that means I'll get around to praying for each one once a fortnight. That's pretty good. If you're, if you're more spiritually energetic than that and you want to do two a day, well, that's one, you pray for them once a week. I mean, that is excellent. Don't put yourself down. That is great praying. Decide then how many and decide how often. And then actually start. Get started. And do so with that intention in the back of your head that you are not going to give up. Now, unless you are a super organised person, and some of you are, but most, I think, are more like me, we have these goals, we set out, and then we don't really follow through all that brilliantly. If you aim to do something every day, and there's a very good chance you'll end up doing it four or five times a week. Don't focus on the two days you miss out. Don't put yourself down. Just... Pick yourself up, dust yourself off and start off over again without feeling guilty and a failure. We've got enough problems without adding those onto our shoulders. So, don't give up. If you fail and fall by the wayside a bit, then when you wake up to yourself, start off again. And it doesn't matter how many times you need to be pumped up and commissioned to more. Just keep doing it. Think of the spider in the downpipe. But what are you going to pray for when somebody's life looks pretty good? They seem to be trouble-free. They've got no special needs. They're all okay. Am I going to give them a miss? I'm just going to throw the childhood God bless Auntie Myrtle and leave it? No, no, no. 
We're going to look at what Jesus and St Paul prayed about for other people because there we see an extremely helpful pattern of praying for people, even those who don't have any particular burdens that they're trying to carry at the moment. Well, as we look at their prayers, such as we know about them, surprise, surprise, they both start to pray in, for others in exactly the same way. That is, they start by giving thanks. Uh, if you've got today's Gospel open in front of you, that uh, from John's Gospel, part of Jesus' great prayer for his disciples and others, and he starts by noticing that the Father's plan has worked. The disciples have listened and have understood and have believed what Jesus has told them. For instance, he says in verse 8, the words that you gave to me, I've given to them and they've received them and they've believed that you sent me. Now, Jesus is giving thanks that the disciples that he chose have come to firmly believe that he came from the Father, that he is the Son and that he speaks the truth. Now, them believing this was never guaranteed. They might have gone the other way, like the nation's religious leaders, and turned him down, not been convinced by him, been disappointed in him in some serious way like Judas was. But they've believed him. And so he rejoices because it wasn't guaranteed. And he not only rejoices in himself, he especially rejoices in prayer. And so here where he's praying for them, he starts off being grateful, reciting to himself and the Father what he's grateful about. He's giving thanks. Now St Paul follows his example. We've got 13 letters that St Paul wrote in our New Testament and in nine of them, nine of them at the start or near the start, he rushes in to tell these readers words like these that he wrote to the Philippians. I thank God constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. That's what he says to the Philippians. To the Romans, where he'd never been, he may have met one or two of them here or there in his travels, but he'd not been to Rome. But he writes to them, I thank God for all of you, for your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. So they set the pattern for us. Jesus and Paul both started their prayers for others by going over what was wonderful about those others. Then if that's what they do, that's got to be good enough for us. That's got to be our pattern. That's the goal. The things that excited Jesus and Paul about these people, of course, were their strength of their faith. Now, they might have been delighted at... Uh, um, the welcome, for instance, that Paul often is from some of the people and uh, other things about them, but especially it was their faith. That is, that they did believe and that they hung in there under opposition and pressure. So we can begin our prayers for those on our list, our homemade list, by thanking God for them, for their belief and for their perseverance in following Jesus. It is so good never to grow tired of giving thanks. It is a very important part of our prayers. Don't ever let yourself say, oh, I've got to get through this, get rid of this, because I want to get onto the stuff that works, getting things changed, things I'm asking for. No, the thanksgiving is a vital part of our relationship with Jesus. 
especially for prayers that have been answered because it pleases God and it does wonders for us, the prayers. And then Jesus turns from thanks to requests for his disciples. Now he prays two things for them that we know of in this prayer that we uh, has written down for us that others overheard. He prays that they will, one, be protected because he's about to be taken from them. And he prays that they'll be protected in such a way that their unity will hold together. Their human pyramid will not collapse. Their unity is a crucial and highly important thing that Jesus prays for. And one of the reasons is, is he prays that they will be so united that people that notice it will be convinced about him. It is a great and fabulous prayer. Our unity should be so outstanding in a community that is not united that it screams without actually using words that God exists and God is love and God wants everyone with us. So he prays that they will be held together. That's the first thing, protected, because he's not going to be with them for much longer. And secondly, that they will keep growing more and more like him in character and action. For instance, uh, uh, in verse 11, he says, protect them so that they may be one as we are one. That's how united he wants us to be, as much as he is with the Father. Protected so that they may be one as we are one. 15, and I ask you to protect them from the evil one. And then 17, sanctify them in your word, the truth. This is Jesus' prayer for his disciples as he's about to leave them and he looks with that sense of uncertainty into the future for them. St Paul's prayers are similar. Uh, in his letter to the Ephesians, we have a very good long description of the things that he prayed for. Well, actually, there's two descriptions of the things that he prayed for after he, as always, had given thanks. For instance, for their faith in Jesus and their love for all the saints. Now, he prayed that they would all know three things, three very important things, three things that we would do very well to be praying for for ourselves, for our families and for the people that we have put on our list. Three things. He prayed that they would firstly know the hope that they've been called to and secondly that they would know the richness of their inheritance and thirdly that they would know the working of God's great power. Three things. Hope, inheritance and power. In an ordinary family, when a child is born, there is for him a hope and an inheritance and a power. The hope for him is that something like that he'll be healthy, that he'll be content, that he'll make his parents proud of him, uh, that he'll be a success and go on to have his own happy family, etc., etc. So much hope when someone is born. But he also immediately has an inheritance Though, of course, uh, everyone hopes that it'll be quite a few decades before he receives whatever his parents leave him in their wills. But it's there. And thirdly, he experiences some power, the power that comes from the family as he's growing up. 
it's the power of the wisdom and the guidance and the training and the dreams and the protection and the enormous help in endless ways that are his because he's in that family and he's not on his own. And he's in that family from day one. So he has hope, he has inheritance and he has power. That's just ordinary life. And so when a person believes in Jesus and becomes a Christian and joins the Christian family called the church, there is hope and there is inheritance and there is power. And St Paul prays over and over that all his flock will know, that means experience, each of these three blessings. The hope is all the wonderful bits of being a Christian, knowing that God loves you, knowing that your sins are forgiven, knowing the encouragement of Christian fellowship, the experience of actually sharing your burdens and having others help carry them, the love of lots of people around you, your home family, more than your home family, and the inner peace that passes all understanding, the ability to turn away from sin, to overcome temptation, the full richness of life with Christ, as Jesus called it, life in all its fullness. Here, now, in this life, that's our hope. And each person that believes is born into that hope. And so Paul prays that they will know it, that is, that they will grow into it. They will have it in their head, but they will also grow into the experience of it. And so when you're praying for the people on your list, and you don't know what their financial situation is, what their family tensions are, but you can pray that spiritually they will grow into the fullness of that hope. What a great prayer to pray for anyone. But secondly, Paul prays that all his charges will know how rich is their future inheritance. The incomparable delights of eternal life. Now, you and I live in a country and many of us live in uh, good health and good situations where life can be very, very pleasant, easy, comfortable. Where the biggest thing we can whinge about is just the weather. We have it so good. It is sometimes difficult to imagine and to even want to look forward to heaven. Most of the details have not been given to us. But we do know somehow we will see Christ and become like him in character. Along with all the saints, in superb fellowship, for they've all been transformed as well. It will not be some private exclusive party, but an outrageous, spontaneous roar of delight and praise. What we will be doing uh, is not told to us but the love and the joy and the peace that we do find here on earth are just faint pointers, mere foretastes of our glorious inheritance among the saints. And Paul prays for his, uh, the people that are under him that he writes letters to regularly, day by day, after he gives thanks for them, he prays that they will each one really take on board and have it sort of fill and drive and encourage them in their lives day by day the hope that lies before them. And then thirdly, 
Paul prays that his readers will also know the greatness of God's power. What did that power do? That power raised Christ from the dead. And that power ascended Christ back into heaven. It is some power. And that is the Holy Spirit's influence. It's the power that wins unbelievers into faith. It's the power that heals broken spirits and sick bodies and step by step can change weak, selfish, sinful people into generous, forgiving, serving saints through whom the light of Jesus shines brightly. Well, can you see yourself praying that your people will grow to know these three exquisite truths? The life in all its fullness, here and now. Pray that, that they will know the hope. The beyond imagining perfection of eternal life, that they'll know the inheritance that the Holy Spirit's transforming influence in our deepest parts will know the power. Pray that each one now will fulfil all his Christian hope, look forward eagerly to his inheritance and experience more and more of God's extraordinary power. These are great prayers. Never, ever tire of praying for your people that this might be what they grow into. And then Paul does have one more prayer later in his letter to the Ephesians which grows out of these three things. As people are taking on board and maturing in those three attitudes and experiences, he also asks God to grant them to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Is there a better prayer that you could pray for anybody? Because as we experience the joy of being Christian, our hope and uh, our inheritance and God's power, then our awareness of how much God loves us in Jesus will grow and grow to our ever-increasing amazement. This is, God, uh, this is Paul's bottom line prayer, that we will know the love of Christ, its breadth and length and height and depth. So as you regularly pray for people, remember then my suggestion, five points. One, give thanks. And then two, pray that they will grow in knowing the hope. Three, they will look forward to their inheritance. Four, they will experience God's power. And so, five, know the fullness of the love of Christ. This is how we can pray for one another. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.